and welcome to this first episode of Live Out Loud, a new podcast from Access Web, showcasing conversations between artists on some of the key topics of the day. My name is Lucy Wright, I'm an artist and researcher with interests in social practice and the function of tradition, and I'm really happy to have your company over the next few minutes as we explore some of the different experiences of practice in isolation. I'll be joined by two fantastic artists and Access Web members, Beth Davis Hofbauer and Chantelle Powell. Both Beth and Chantelle have experience of working at a distance from the mainstream art world due to chronic illness and disability. And as such, they have some really important perspectives to share with those of us who, as a result of the COVID-19 crisis, may be experiencing social distancing for the first time. They also share their thoughts on how the art sector might use this opportunity to rethink its accessibility policies, as well as how we as artists might respond and adapt to this temporary period of isolation. The title of our podcast, Live Out Loud, is taken from a quotation by Emil Zola, who said, If you ask me what I came to do in this world, I, an artist, will answer you. I am here to live out loud. We feel really strongly about the value of living out loud and finding ways to share our knowledge, experience and kindness with others, especially in this moment of physical separation. I hope you'll find some interesting thoughts, ideas and good advice in the conversation to follow. So just to set the scene for you, this podcast was recorded at home, in my kitchen, during lockdown, with Chantal and Beth joining me via Google Hangout. The audio quality isn't perfect, so please bear with us. We'll be looking for new ways to improve our sound quality over the coming weeks. I'll begin by asking both artists to introduce themselves. My name's Chantal Powell. I'm an artist working in the field of young in-depth psychology. I'm interested in how we're influenced by our personal and collective unconscious, um, also in the idea of alchemy as a, a metaphor for self-transformation, what Jung calls individuation. Um, I work mainly in sculpture. Um, I often use processes and materials that are symbolic to alchemy, like tin casting, I fire clay in a bin outside, um, and the motifs and symbols in my work often reference myths and rituals. Um, I live in West Dorset and I, it's a conservation site I live and work on. Um, so I have my studio there and I also run a artist residency programme there called Hogchester Arts. I am Beth Davis Hofbauer and I'm an artist from Hampshire and I also run, well co-run, a small arts organisation that's existed for about five years now um, called Live Art Local. We do various different things from exhibitions to conferences to art trails and all, all kinds of random things. Um, my artistic practice is, is really um, conceptual more, more than anything else and I, I tend to kind of come back to themes of health and disability um, more than anything else. I don't really specialise in one particular um, medium anymore. I started off in photography many years ago, specialised in that university and then just kind of felt that it was holding me in quite a bit. So started exploring other materials and went on to do an MA. Uh, so that I could kind of break out of photography a bit more. Um, and really, I'm just interested in the human experience. Um, 
and kind of like the interplay between how we see ourselves and how others see us and kind of the rules that society places on, on us and how we get pigeonholed, I suppose. Great. That's probably quite a good segue to ask the next question, which is uh, how is the current COVID-19 crisis affecting both of your practices? So maybe start with Beth on this occasion. Uh, well, I feel kind of perverse saying this, but uh, it's actually been really good for me <laughs> because it's kind of, I found it quite inspiring, I suppose. Um, really and I'm currently working on three different pieces and I've been experiencing quite a a creative block before um particularly since the birth of my baby la last year um so it's been it's been really good and I'm actually having to oh, that, that sounds terrible saying that it's been really good because obviously it's an, I don't <laughs> I don't want it illness to exist and for people to be ill and have their their lives ruined but creatively for me it's it's actually been very inspiring and I'm, I'm having to rein myself in because I've got kind of too many ideas coming to me from what I see going on and particularly the the data that's coming out of it. Now that's that sounds great. I mean, I have lots of follow up questions, but maybe I'll, I'll hold off and, and go to Chantal now and just see what, what what's your experience of, of this situation. Sure, uh, it's really interesting hearing that, and um, you know, I, I think it doesn't in, in no way does it kind of sound bad. I think interesting how at times of crisis and times of, of massive change, there's there is loads of positive stuff and loads of impetus to kind of. Um, yeah find new fertile ground and stuff so it's not surprising it's yeah really great i'm really pleased for you uh, myself i practice hasn't changed dramatically really my studio is here so i get to still carry on what i was already carrying on working with having having to suddenly homeschool two children has meant less time for sure um which uh, is a little bit challenging i guess like a lot of artists, I had a, a show cut short. It was part way through and the gallery had to close. And um, I was also working on a, a collaborative long-term project called Night Shaking Slam with um, another artist, Dean Melbourne. And uh, this was the year where we were taking all our research that we'd done and, and were kind of making plans to take it out into the world and work with organizations and um, other people. And so that's all had to go on halt, which is is a shame. Otherwise, socially, it's interesting. I've ended up having probably more conversations than I normally would in terms of meeting up with people, other artists online, where I think, you know, being in the countryside, um, you know, I think people in London meet up with each other often and more naturally, whereas now everyone's inside. We're all kind of in the same position a bit more. And so I think I'm ending up having meetings with artists a bit more than I, I usually would. It's interesting you, you sort of both highlight the sort of that the, there's, there's a, a, a tension I guess between how this affects your personal practice and in some cases that might be as a kind of motivator as an inspiration in some way and also that kind of practicality of of sort of making a living having things cancelled the sort of struggle around translating some of the kind of I guess revenue raising from practice that have previously relied on face-to-face -face meetings uh, in, into a kind of digital, virtual setting. 
Um, I mean, so as, as you know, one of the reasons that uh, we wanted to invite you for this conversation was because you were two of the artists who were part of our Five to Watch um, uh, a couple of weeks ago around, on the theme of sort of isolation and working at a distance. Can you talk a little bit about what you understand by this idea of isolation or what your experience is of working at a distance prior, I suppose, to this kind of this, this, this international crisis? So I'll, I'll pose that one to, to Beth. Uh, well, I am disabled. I have a chronic illness. And I also, unlike most artists, I actually home educate my own, my children anyway. Um, so I've got three including a baby. Um, so really, I'm quite isolated anyway. So the world is not that different for me, except for that I can't go out to stuff. I haven't been able to, to really do very much this last year anyway with, with, with a baby. So really, I find that my practice isn't really very much different because I have a studio at home. Being a disabled artist, it's very, very difficult. And actually, it's really, it's really shit, actually. I, I don't particularly want to swear, but there's a lot of lip service played to, paid to things being accessible, but they're not really. So my ability to go out and do residencies and things hasn't actually been hampered that much because it's impossible to do it when you don't live in London and you have a disability anyway. So I just find that my life isn't that different. I'm just not really going in for anything at the moment um but I wasn't really doing that for the last year anyway because of being a, a new mum again yeah that's quite difficult to answer it's quite different for me as an artist as opposed to an arts organizer because as an arts organizer I start I organize shows I speak for other artists and give them opportunities but that's that's the opportunities that actually are lacking to you when you are disabled so I, I work quite remotely anyway and I think I'm going to leave that there because I do have a tendency to waffle. Not at all no and you make a really a really strong point that um, you know it, this is obviously the first time that for many people they've had the kind of restrictions I guess placed on their movements and so at least initially I, I saw a lot of um, you know discourse on Twitter and you know things about people sort of talking about making work for the first time in isolation and you know what this, this kind of novel experience and, and maybe not being aware that for a lot of people that has been a, a reality for a long time and you know yeah uh, that kind of accessibility that's suddenly becoming available uh, you know people making things accessible online perhaps should have or almost definitely should have begun much much sooner and not only in in this crisis. Same question to Chantal what what, what isolation mean to you in, in your practice? Well thinking about what isolation I guess I, I maybe thought of uh, thought of that question as slightly more um, abstract sense in terms of what does isolation mean and thinking about separateness from other people and so you know at the moment we're experiencing that in a, in a very physical sense people feeling physically separated from one another um, but there are obviously many things that separate us whether it's financial issues or um, in my case, as in Beth's, um, it's been a uh, an illness, um, a chronic illness as well, um, but that was particularly for me severe uh, about four years ago. And at that point, I was completely isolated from other people in that um, not only was I bedridden, but I couldn't even, um, at its worst, tolerate the, the 
my sound tolerance was so bad that I, even talking to my family or kind of having them around was was too much. Um, I couldn't read, um, so it felt a, an utter isolation from from people and even from you know even not being able to read just kind of felt like this this separateness so I was just a body which is quite a identity and value shake up really and even now I, I my health is much improved from that time but I don't function in the same way that um, most people do and so there is um, still quite often that frustration of feeling uh, more at a distance um, than I would like to be in terms of, of what I would like to be able to do. The current isolation is a is an interesting one, I think, because it's it's a, a shared thing, a collective experience. So on one hand, people are feeling isolated um, and separate, but it's happening in a way that we're all sharing it. And um, in some ways, I think, you know, a lot of people have experienced a lot of anxiety around it. A lot of artists and non-artists have, have got this shared experience of um, problems with income and work loss. Um, and then the shared experience suddenly of people not being able to be in physical contact with one another. So it's it's isolating. And yet at the same time, I think it's got this flip side of, of bringing a, a shared experience, possibly more so than we normally have. So I find that quite uh, an interesting um, flip. Thanks. It's so interesting to hear to hear your experiences, and I suppose I mean, feel free to to to, to say no to answering these questions because I'm I'm going off script a little bit. But I'm just curious for for both of you, what what those experiences of sort of being forced to work in isolation for for various reasons how has that shaped the kind of work that you make? Do you feel that it, or, or does, does it shape the work that you make at all? Um, I'll start with Chantal, since you just were speaking. Yeah, sure. My illness was uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. Well, it is, um, uh, there are some other things as well, but that was the main isolating factor for me. And I don't, I don't know if it's working in isolation or, or the, the things that that raised for me personally, I think altered my practice four years ago. You know, I was talking about the questions it raised of value, um, and it was it was via that route that I got into Jungian depth psychology. To be honest, so my background is in psychology. I did a, a PhD in social psychology years ago, but I didn't know much about Carl Jung and this idea of the self. But it was when I started to recover a bit, and certainly when I started to be able to read, that I started to read about these things, and that very much not only shaped my perception of myself and life, but it inevitably changed my work as well. It changed the way in which I worked, the processes I used. Process became very important, um, ritual and um, not controlling everything myself, but letting the environment and, and things influence it. Um, and it. And the subject matter is obviously around that topic now as well. Living where I live is kind of a separate but a parallel thing in terms of isolation I guess it's beautiful where I live but it's not uh, there aren't there isn't the peer group around um, that maybe artists experience more in London and that's that shaped my behavior in terms of setting up Hogchester Arts because I didn't know if I'd be able to travel at all again with my health um, as it happens I am able to do that now 
even that is sometimes limited but I decided I really wanted to have that contact with other artists and so thought how can I do that and I do have this amazing resource of this conservation site it's a, a beautiful location and there's a large studio space um, from a barn we converted so so set up this art residency program and that's meant that throughout the year I have artists come and stay and work here and get to have that interaction. Um, so I guess I've self-managed my isolation in that way and yeah, changed my circumstances to, to fit that. That's fantastic. Thank you. Beth, what, what's your experience in this area? I would say that similarly to Chantel, my, um, my health has definitely influenced my work though in saying that I I did suffer really badly from a very severe eating disorder and anxiety and depression when I was much younger so my work was always quite influenced by how I felt even with my photographic work with my degree I was kind of like using text and, and and, and photography and creating something new. So it was just kind of natural that if anything physically happened to me, that that would also land up impacting the work that I create, which it did. So I became unwell in 2005, 2005 2006. And since that point, I have a um, degenerative health problem, um, which is kind of plateaued at the moment, but, but it's it's resulted in me being in a wheelchair and as I have been in a wheelchair I have noticed that I have become um, less and less visible uh, to other people uh, and I've seen that a lot with other people with disabilities particularly those who have disabilities they were born with and so really what I produce has almost become a, a way of kind of like working through those emotions and a way of kicking back against stuff. So, for example, the work featured as part of your five, five to watch, that was something I did a few years ago during my MA, which was called The Invisibility of Disabled Sexuality. And that was literally created because I, I felt so angry that people were shocked that I had children because they couldn't understand how somebody in a wheelchair like me could a have a partner in fact I, I even had a, a very good friend from my original uni days who told me how, how nice it was that my husband still wanted to marry me at my wedding um, because I, I was ill at that point so I've become used to kind of being invisible and kind of like not being very happy about that so so I created work that kind of smacked the fact that actually disabled people do have sex um, into people's faces by having actually the physical remnants of sexual act and imprints left of that with, with paint, but invisible paint, to kind of make people think. So that's, that's kind of affected a lot of the work that I do. And even in my sudden burst of creativity regarding COVID, it's all kind of a reaction to that where it concerns health and, and other people being in, in, in the same boat now. So yeah, I'm very wary of waffling on too much, but I would say that, that yes, um, my experience of isolation 
does definitely affect the type of work that I produce. And just uh, one last thing, um, Chantal was saying about how she set up this, I, I think it's Colchester Arts, but I, I wasn't, wasn't quite sure because the line wasn't brilliant, but that's a similar kind of thing to why I set up Live Art Local originally, was because I felt like I lived out in the sticks and even though Southampton and Portsmouth are, are relatively close, they're actually miles away, culturally speaking. So it was to actually get artists working together and doing something, but actually it lands up that I put far more effort into other artists' careers most of the, most of the time and, and neglect my own. So, yes, I will stop talking now. Thanks ever so much. Please don't worry at all about waffling on. This is this is so interesting and, 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 you know, and I really appreciate everything you have to say. Don't worry at all on that score. And I guess, again, that's probably quite a good segue into speaking a bit about some of the advantages and, and the difficulties, the challenges of working in this way. And I suppose something that struck me as I'm listening to you speak is the extent to which, or I guess what kinds of things you feel would be useful to have happen to, you know, just generally within the art world to make things more accessible. And maybe those things are starting to happen. Maybe they're not happening enough. If you have any thoughts on, on you know, uh, yeah, improvements that, that could be made to, to, to make the arts are more accessible, more, you know, fair space for people <laughs> with, with all different situations. So advantages and or challenges as, as you wish to respond to. I'm going to go on to Chantal now. So advantages and challenges of working in a more isolated, socially isolated way, you mean? Yeah, I guess so. I, I think, I mean, I think that's that's obviously sort of the theme of, of this programme, but I, I you know, I, I guess... Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's. It I hope it doesn't sound sort of crass to be saying advantages or challenges of working with with a chronic illness or a disability, but just just thoughts that you sort of have on on how this situation impacts on an artist's practice and maybe any steps that could be taken to 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 improve that to mitigate that at all. Times when I've not been in contact with other people for um, long stretches of of time, those times have forced me. To, to turn inwards, there, there isn't really a, <laughs> another option. Um, the advantage of that is that I think if you don't choose to fill it with other distractions, uh, like playing Candy Crush on your phone or something, is is that you, um, you're you forced to listen to that voice within. That certainly was the case for me to start to kind of tune in more. You know, we're naturally prone to distraction and busyness and I think that sort of forced isolation quite often leads to inner growth. I think that's why things like monastic retreats resonate with people. Often that, that's come after a time of extreme busyness or, or filling your life with too much noise. And then there's thing that that voice within is kind of crying out for a, a readdress or a rebalance. So perhaps for people who I think, you know, I've heard this from other people that they've, they're finding this forced time is, you know, giving you them permission maybe to turn towards something different, something either within themselves or to take a pause from the business and look around at other things. And that kind of connection, you know, I'd call that a connection with the unconscious, an opportunity to connect with your unconscious more, I think, gives you a chance to create greater authentic depth to your work as well as to your self-growth the flip side to it or the challenge is that we're also social creatures you know we need that aspect alongside this listening to the inner self because there's growth in relationships as well just like there are advantages to focusing on your 
own practice rather than maybe being distracted by others and maybe comparing yourself to others. There's also the, the benefit of, of learning from others. You know, when I've had artists stay here on, on their residencies, I every time somebody comes, I learn something new in the way that they see things or they approach things or the way that they process, you know, practically work through things. So ideally we need both, but I think maybe for people who who haven't been used to this kind of social isolation, I think maybe it's it's an opportunity. It's it, it can it can it can be offering something. Yeah. I'm definitely going to pick up on that in the next question, but Beth, what's your thoughts on this? I suppose I find this quite a difficult question, and I, I was speaking to my husband about it earlier because I didn't want to sound too Eeyore-ish, but there is a difference between the isolation that people are experiencing now where everyone's in it together, though obviously the situation for some people is, is far worse than others, you know, particularly people who, who don't have a garden and, and who have to live with an abuser and, and, and live in absolutely awful situation. But on the whole, people are going through something together. And, and that I can see being as a fairly positive experience, really, for, for the reasons that, that Chantel spoke about with kind of like going into yourself more and, and, and kind of like thinking differently. And But on the whole, I find it to be quite a negative experience as somebody who has a degree of isolation um, forced upon them um, because of their health. Uh, so I would like nothing more than to actually go and join um, a, an artist's collect collective studios. Uh, but I can't do that because actually the ones that are anywhere near me, um, so that would be Arches in Southampton and art space in Portsmouth are completely inaccessible. Even when I go to shows and events at these places, it is almost impossible um, for me to, to get around, which, which puts me in a highly anxious state. And I, I land up having a panic attack and, and going quite soon uh, after I've spoken to people and, and done the whole networking bit, I, I leave and can't cope anymore. So it's very, very difficult one to answer. I suppose on the positive side, it does force you to become a bit of a problem solver. So things that I have done and started, there's no way I would have done them if actually I didn't have a health problem and I could do things the normal way. So I wouldn't have gone and created a 30 venue arts festival with a hundred and 50 theatre performers, artists and musicians involved or staged a big arts conference and things like that. So it, it, it does make you kind of it, have to become resourceful and, and kind of adapt and, and make things happen. But at the same time, that has a negative aspect, aspect as well because you land up concentrating so much on other people that you land up neglecting yourself and sometimes actually feeling worse because of that. So really I, I, find, I find it very difficult so collective self-isolation is a kind of shared experience and I think that can be good for the soul but actually the, the isolation that can be forced upon you through health or, or disability or even having a different way of um, seeing the world so for example my my son is autistic and, uh, and my, my daughter's on the spectrum as well but my, but my son's quite severely autistic 
and I did research for my MA years ago about making galleries and museums more accessible to people with sensory processing disorder um, and ASD. And there's just tiny things that galleries in particular could do to make themselves accessible to these people who aren't in wheelchairs, who could easily get around these places, but, but they can't just because of the way these places are engineered. So it's, it's, it's very different, that kind of enforced, that kind of forced isolation as opposed to a collective experience where everyone can feel like they're in it together. I think you make a lot of really, really valid and important points there. I mean, I'm just curious, building on what you were saying there with Chantal, your, your residency programme, I, I guess that's had to uh, be put on hiatus for the time being. Do you have any thoughts about, or, or perhaps it hasn't, have, have you had any thoughts about how or if you'll continue with that in a kind of virtual sense or is it quite site specific? I'd have got away with it so far. Our, um, our last two artists came in January and because of the setup uh, it tends to be um, the housing accommodation setup we've got a uh, a cottage that's our holiday cottage that's the income for the site um, throughout the year but in the quieter seasons January and November we let artists use it but then during the, the rest of the year it's it's busy but in summertime, we have a yurt on site uh, and a stable block. And so artists use those. But that means, a long-winded way of saying it, there's a, actually a gap between our January residencies and then the next uh, batch of residents don't come until uh, June, May or June. So we haven't, fortunately, um, missed out on any artists coming to stay. The next resident is booked um, in June. So I just had a chat with him the other day and we were saying, hopefully things will still go ahead. Um, um, but yeah, that's a, a wait and see. So no, I haven't I haven't planned anything alternatively. I think in all likelihood, if that doesn't um, happen, we'll, we'll just um, move people, defer people, and maybe maybe we'll put in uh, more next year I don't know um in terms of virtual um not with the residency no I've just as like a, a mini personal project I've just started a online book club just on Instagram called the red book club just because I fancied um discussing books in the uh depth psychology space I'd had people kind of ask me a few times what would you recommend if you wanted to kind of get into alchemy or into young so um that's kind of like a little virtual project that we've kind of got about 20 25 people are kind of just signed up for our first month and we're just going to read some stuff together then have some zoom meetings and to discuss it um so yeah that's a, a mini virtual thing going on fantastic and the residency sounds absolutely gorgeous um beth I, I, you you mentioned that there were sort of uh you've done bits of research about around adjustments that could be made by galleries and art spaces to make them more accessible I, I guess my question would be is there anything that you would point to or you know a handful of things that you think could happen you know right now I guess to to, to make to make a difference to people who who do find accessing uh, arts venues and spaces challenging there are numerous things that could be done but it, it's it's the will and the collective will and I, I don't think that even though you can make suggestions that things will actually happen until making things accessible it isn't seen as some form of tokenism and a tick box exercise so if you're talking about for people who have sensory processing 
issues and people on the spectrum, but particularly children on the spectrum, who are the people who I've, I've, I've focused on. It's simple changes can be done to make things easier, like actually having um, tactile displays and things that people can interact with. It's not having fluorescent, great big fluorescent lights that the flicker on it can actually cause quite a big problem for people with um, sensory processing disorders and autism. Even the colours of the walls. So, you know, galleries are quite often really bright white, and that's actually quite a, a negative thing in many ways for people who are on the spectrum, particularly children. And with children as well, it's simple things like social stories being made available online. So there's lots of tiny, I mean, there's much bigger changes you can do as well, like having sensory areas and, and things like that. But there's loads of small things you can do. And then when it comes to a physical issue, such as mine, which then causes a mental issue because of feeling incredibly uncomfortable in those situations, it's actually just having things being made accessible. So having things at the right height. So an example, I was, I took my children to the John Hansard Gallery and then their new city centre space last year. And we were going around the exhibition and then they were really enjoying it. And then they had a community exhibition at the end, quite close to their reception desk. And it involved headphones being being worn and listened to. Uh, now, my children could reach the headphones, but I, in a wheelchair, I couldn't reach them at all because they were put up really high. And I actually started making some quite loud comments about how it was ridiculous considering the amount of public funding that they had. But, um, something so simple wasn't even thought about and you you constantly have people in galleries making excuses and telling you that they can get things down and bring them to you but the problem is that that's not what you want as somebody who's it you don't want to have to ask for permission for somebody to do stuff all the time you, you want to actually be able to experience things in the same way that other people experience things so just common sense really and actually getting people onto the boards who are generally disabled and having them involved in the process of, of designing places. I've, I've been in so many disabled toilets in galleries in very big public institutions where you can't put a wheelchair in and pull yourself off, up off your wheelchair and flush the toilet without getting wet or it not being dangerous, which is, which is ludicrous considering the amount of, of money that, that, that goes into these places from the public purse. So it sounds pretty stupid to just say it's it's common sense and having disabled people involved, but it is. And there's a there's myriad tiny ways uh, that people probably don't even think of that if they just changed the way they thought about stuff could be much better. So, for example, I go to events where chairs are put out, but they they don't leave say for like an artist to talk or something but they don't leave enough space so that a wheelchair can fit in so then you have to create a fuss or feel like you're creating a fuss because someone has to come out and start moving chairs and then people feel bad so they kind of make more of a thing around you to check that you're okay which just lands up drawing a huge amount of attention to you and making you feel pretty awful so it's it's really just kind of thinking is is this going to be okay for someone? Will everyone be able to do this? Instead of just thinking about the people who can easily walk upright and don't have any other issues 
either. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's, you just need to get people who actually have not only mental health problems, but learning disabilities, sensory disabilities, people on the autistic spectrum and people with physical disabilities on, on, on boards. And until that happens, and until it's not just tokenism, I don't think that things are going to change very much, irrespective of a couple of little tokenistic bits here and there. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's it's pretty shameful how, how poorly this is done too often, I think. Um, I'm going to return to the sort of the, the topic of isolation, if that's all right. And I I, I wondered if, if either of you have any sort of advice or thoughts for people who are, you know, working in isolation for the first time due to the, the, the COVID-19 crisis, you know, w- bearing in mind some of the really, you know, important things you've said uh, about, you know, this being quite different from experiencing this you know involuntarily and not in a kind of communal sense but just as 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 people who are who who experience this and have experienced this much more in the past do you have any kind of advice that you'd like to give to others in the in the artistic community uh, and I'll start with Chantal if that's okay I guess like I said before about uh, change and restriction well for me anyway forces me to think about things in a, a different way otherwise it's it's we're kind of built to go along our train tracks and follow things as we've been doing them um, because familiar is comfortable. So there are restrictions now. Most most artists, are, a lot of artists are not working in their usual studio space. A lot are now in home and in a, a smaller condition, maybe less materials. So given that, what could, what could you do differently for this period of time? And, you know, is it a period of research? Is it putting materials down for a while or is it new materials? Is it thinking about scale differently? You know, when I started to get well enough to make work again, the scale of my work had to change completely. I'd been working when I was healthy on a quite large scale. It was very physical work. And then suddenly, you know, I, I, you know, I couldn't get off the sofa. So I had no strength and certainly couldn't work on a large scale. So things were very small and very light. <laughs> um, in fact, it was, it was collage even before I could start to use materials. But there was, you know, that was like a seed of something completely new to my work that I know I wouldn't have gone to if I hadn't been forced to. I'd have stuck with with what I was doing. So that restriction is is often a good thing for our brains mentally, I think. Yeah, there's, I think, already seeing things spring up from forced changes in, say, like the financial circumstances, like the um, isolation school um, and, um, you know, the... Um, artist pledge scheme I think has been really amazing to see and you know I know some of my peers have gone from worrying about money to suddenly actually selling quite a bit through that which is um, great but it's it's just creative thinking in a restricted circumstance and one thing I read actually just a couple of days ago which strikes me as relevant and I hope this doesn't sound kind of twee but it was just a story about it was a metaphor I guess about a, a seed a seed containing everything that it needs to become this tree and but it's still being dependent on its environment and circumstance and this seed falling on a ground that wasn't perhaps ideal and there being stones in its in its path and the seed as it's growing ending up naturally leaning towards the light around the stone and it growing in a a different formation and the woman who was telling the story was talking about how the seed doesn't feel angry or bitter. It isn't 
trying to make a plan. It's actually sensing in which way to lean, which way to grow. And I know that's easier said than done. It certainly wasn't my experience. I felt very angry at my illest moments and very bitter. And at the moment, I'm, you know, I'm known for making a plan about things. But I, I really liked that thought of, um, for me anyway, letting go of the planning and the controlling and sensing into things. And I wonder if some artists who at the moment are struggling with this change in circumstance maybe just sensing into what that means for them because I'm sure it would be different things for different people but maybe not necessarily following what other people are trying to do or trying to fix it or thinking about what you're losing but maybe just taking a pause and sensing and leaning into what this change might mean for your life. That's really great advice thank you I think yeah it's a lot it's a really resonant image. Beth what are your thoughts? I would say that really adaptability would be my key bit of advice so being able to kind of really similarly to what Chantal was saying uh, don't be so completely rigid in thinking about your work I I think if you can adapt to the situation as it is at the moment then actually that's kind of like the best advice is 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 just telling people to try something new and to change their way of thinking about things because really in many ways this is not your life. What's happening now, what we are going through collectively as a country, as a world, really, it's a very small bit of time. Even if it goes on for 18 months, as some experts are saying, that is a very real possibility that some form of social distancing will have to last that time. It's still quite a small amount of time if if you managed to make it to 80. So actually take a breath and enjoy the gift of that time. Like, yeah, you might not feel like you're progressing with your career, you might not be doing stuff, but if you've got children, you know, actually kind of spend some more time with them and, and learn things about them. If you're young and you've just finished uni or you're having to kind of like take a break from your your degree, well, like maybe, you know, play around, read something, read something different you normally read and and learn about an artist who you kind of wouldn't show any interest in in before or, you know, read a book about engineering, just like really kind of reframe how you you think about stuff because actually the one thing we're all incredibly lacking most of the time is is time. So if your life has changed, if, as I say, mine hasn't changed a huge amount because of the lockdown, um, in many ways but if your life has then just use this time wisely and think of it as a gift because you know it it, it may be true it may be, be not completely true about what Sir Isaac Newton accomplished during the plague years and and um and Shakespeare but you know there are there are lessons there so you know it's not it's not a, to be isolated to an extent is not necessarily a bad thing when that is not your life. It is a time to think and reflect and to make changes. Yeah, I think that that's really good good advice too. And, and I have to, to say, I, I completely um, yeah, can relate to what you're saying. I, I've actually found it in some ways quite freeing to have a little bit of space from the kind of everyday grind of commuting and and, and, and all the kind of things that that, that, that busy our minds all, all the time. It's, it's actually been kind of nice to, to have a little bit of space. And I'm sorry the circumstances 
that have caused it are as they are. But but yeah, there there, there have been some positive things already for me personally. Um, that's sort of towards the end of my questions. It's been so so nice and so interesting to to, to speak to you both. Re really appreciate you know you, you sharing your experiences and your time with me this evening. Is there anything that we haven't touched upon that you were hoping to have the chance to say? There's no problem at all, no pressure at all if there isn't anything, but I'll, I'll give you both the opportunity to, to say any last thoughts or anything that you wanted to, to, to discuss, or a question for each other if there's anything that comes up. But as I say, no, no pressure if there's nothing that comes to mind. So I'll, I'll, I'll just open the floor to whoever unmutes their microphone first. No question, just wanted to say thank you. Um, it was really nice to get to speak to you both and uh, to hear a bit more about you, Beth, as well. Thanks, Chantal. It's, it's been it's been so interesting for me as well. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Beth, is there anything, any last thoughts? <laughs> My only last thought would just really be a bit of a, an imploring of organisations in, in, in general to maybe rethink their spaces, because that's the thing that I think I think is important is, is to actually recognise that isolation can be good, but it can also not be a good thing if, if it isn't enforced isolation so that if anybody involved in any larger organizations listened to this series of podcasts and heard this at all that you know maybe they do actually kind of rethink their spaces and how they make themselves accessible to people because I think that quite a lot of talent is going unnoticed and unrewarded because there are people who have significant impairments that that mean that they cannot get there and there's not always a, a shape arts or, or something similar or a dash arts uh, where they live to help them so that isolation can be good but it, but it is also not a way to try and have a career yeah absolutely I, I would totally echo those thoughts too um regardless of of the the pandemic situation that's something that i think is incredibly important that arts organizations start to address and you know maybe on some level this this experience of a kind of enforced isolation is or will prompt organizations and institutions outside of the arts I think too to to rethink the ways that they they provide you know services for for people and and you know looking towards making those more accessible for more people more of the time all of the time ideally yeah, so thank you so much. So that's about it for this episode of Live Out Loud. A huge thanks to Chantal Powell and Beth Davis-Hoffbauer for their thoughts and expertise on the subject of practising art in isolation. To find out more about Chantal and Beth's work, check out their profiles on our website, www.axisweb.org. And you can join the conversation online by using the hashtag LiveOutLoud on any of Axis Web's social media platforms. Many thanks for joining us for this very first episode. We'll see you again next week for a discussion on social practice in a time of social distancing. Stay safe and take care out there. Mm -hmm.